Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 549. And joining me today is Marcus Whitman. Marcus, how are you? I'm doing great, Zach. It's really good to be here, you know, selfishly to see you back uh, making podcasts again. I'm, I'm a fan of the show, as always, so it's been good to listen to you. And, and as a friend, it's, it's good to see you back in action and, and living your best life in Hawaii. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this. Thanks for having me. Can I say, and I, I want to say this so everyone can hear it, because I, I think you should be supported. I love your content. Uh, and if you like me, you were someone who really helped me when I was in a really bad place. We, we saw each other together in Vegas, like, I think it was January. Um, yep. And I, I, I was really not in a good place, and you were really kind to me and really helpful to me. And I just want to give you like kind of a tip of the cap um, publicly, because you were so helpful <laughs> to me. And I, I think... When I look at, at people and support them on YouTube, I want to support people that are good people and kind people. And you're definitely uh, really, really kind and, and really, really nice. And I think that goes a long way. So I just want to say thank you in front of everyone listening that y you really helped me. And I'm very grateful for that. No, oh, you're going to make me get emotional, man. I, I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, but no, you, you made it easy. I mean, it's, you're a great dude, too. And we had, we had an epic night, man, in, in Vegas. We walked the whole <laughs> length of the strip. It was... Uh, we weren't going crazy. I don't want to give give people ideas that we were hitting up strip clubs or anything, but uh, no, it was it was cool to. Don't tell them about our insane and... run with the drugs, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> can you? No, I appreciate it. I, I have learned. Um, I am bad at introducing people. Like I had Brian Simpson on, who's like I think the best comedian working, and I didn't even introduce him as a stand-up comedian. I was like, oh my, I was just oh so excited God. to talk to him, and I, I realized I need to have people say who they are, what they do. So, Marcus, can you introduce yourself to anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do? Yes, I am uh, that franchise guy on YouTube. I do uh, pretty deep NFL analysis right now. I'm doing my deep dive series where we basically count down from my number 32 ranked team all the way up to my number one ranked team. Each team gets about an hour and a half plus, and we just go through the whole roster and um, you know, rank their their positions against the rest of the league and how I expect the team to do. So that's just an example of kind of the stuff I do, just kind of uh, cover all 32 teams and try to do it to the best of my ability. What was the last team you covered? What's the most recent one? Uh, last was the uh, Broncos, which was a very fascinating oh. one. Um, what were they ranked? That, that's, that's interesting. 19. Mm. So they were 12th last year with all the hype. And now they're 19, so they're kind of like fringe, you know, fringe yeah. playoff team. <clears throat> a lot of a couple of major X factors with with Peyton and Russ, but the rest of it's in pretty good shape. I I think I, I'm we, this is not in our notes to talk about, but I, I think <laughs> Sean Payton's really going to help Russ. I think that he had kind of a a crisis of confidence off the field and and even on the field, and I think Sean Payton's the right guy to get him in the right place mentally. What do you what do you think about Sean Payton's going to impact Russ? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with like the mental side of things. Absolutely, I think the the, the main keynote I had in in my video was like watching the Broncos last year. It was like a bunch of theater kids got together for like to rehearse the play for like two days and then try to perform <laughs> on Broadway. Yeah, and they had you know receivers running into each other, false starts, you know, uh, not picking up blitzes and pass protection just receivers running the wrong routes, you name it. It was a complete disaster class operation with Nathaniel Hackett. And I think 
just bringing in Sean Payton, who is not going to let that stuff happen. Like, he is going to run a tight ship. Like, even if in some weird world where, like, even if the plays he's calling aren't any good, like, at least they'll be running those plays correctly, <laughs> let alone the fact that he actually knows what he's doing. So I, I think it's it's a massive upgrade. I think and, – and I'd love to hear your – your response to this to me i i just can't imagine a, a denver broncos team that was where where you blame russell wilson as a problem last year like he, he wasn't great didn't play well but there was so much disaster around him it's hard to play well on a team that's got everything going wrong and a coach that's letting you down constantly how much of what went wrong in denver last year do you put on russ and it's part of why they're 19 because we just don't know what to expect from russell wilson this fall yeah i mean he definitely takes some blame for sure he doesn't deserve as much blame as everybody's putting on him. Like I've seen him being ranked as like the 28th best quarterback in the NFL <laughs> heading into the year. And I'm like, bro, like I get it. Like, what have you done for me lately league and all that stuff? But he still made plays. I thought he got better as the year went on as they did figure out some of that just kind of chaotic mess that they had going on. But there was, he was definitely not good old Russell Wilson too. Um, you know, it's tough because having a good surrounding cast helps you play better, but you know, he did miss throws. He, I felt like Russ's best trait has always been that pocket presence and mm. that kind of eye in the back of his head to extend plays and just always knowing where the rush is coming from, when to stay in the pocket, when to get out. I felt like he was a little bit less consistent with that. You could still see that, like, it's there, but it wasn't every single time the pressure got in. He knew exactly where to go, which is, like, his best trait. So that went away a little bit. And then he was just, like, pressing. He was pushing balls into double coverage, yep. not seeing intermediate parts of the field. So, like, I don't know, 20 25% blame on Russ? I, I think if, Russ is capable of playing the way Drew Brees played in the Saints' old offense, where he gets the ball up really quick. I don't think we need to see Russell Wilson running around and extending plays the way he used to in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And I think Sean Payton can take what Russ does best and then expand on that and, and have him play in a more of a style that Drew Brees played from the pocket, getting the ball up really quick. Um, do, do you want to see that? That's what I expect and what I hope to see. Do you think he could do that? I, I think that's the biggest X factor, honestly, the biggest wild card with it because Russ has never been known for that necessarily. Um, yeah. But we know like he has that work ethic that you know he's he's going to recommit himself to running this offense the way Sean Payton does. I think he's an adequate quick game passer. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's great, but if he becomes a good quick game passer. Like, I don't think he's ever going to be Drew Brees, and I don't think you're saying that either. But, like, yeah, yeah I think I think he can definitely <clears throat> reshape his game a little bit. And he, he knows he's going to have to, too, because he kind of learned last year he can't do quite as much as he used to, athletically speaking. And, like, that's an evolution we saw with, like, Aaron Rodgers, for example, late in his career was yeah. like, okay, I have to really focus on the in-structure stuff, and he won a couple of MVPs. So, like, I, I think similar, you know um, – notes on on what Rodgers did I guess you know could be useful for Russ yeah I wonder if Russ could even extend his career like if he keeps playing the way he did in Seattle running around trying to extend plays he's just not going to last very much longer I don't think physically let alone he's just it's not working um but I think if he can learn to win from the pocket we could see a Russ who works hard and develops play for another five years in Sean Payton's system but it there really is that big can it work can it not do you know about he uh so his his dad died when he was way younger and then his mm. like advisor the guy who really helps him off the field kind of get his mind right Trevor Moab he died as well and so wow. um i think Russ last year didn't have anyone 
guiding him. And when you're struggling, so I think he left Seattle. Seattle, it didn't end well. I don't think he got proper support there. Goes to Denver. It's supposed to be better, and then it's not better. You know when to lean on to help you emotionally or psychologically off the field. Your coach is failing you. I think confidence starts to deteriorate. I know because I've, I've been there before. And you start to believe the things people are saying about you. And I think what she, he really needs more than anything as a coach to just instill confidence in him and show him, hey, you're the guy who, as a rookie, won the starting job in Seattle. You're the guy who won a Super Bowl. You, you're so capable. And I think what, when you look at Drew Brees left San Diego and went to left the Chargers, went to New Orleans. He was recovering from this horrible shoulder injury. He was really struggling. And Sean Payton was a coach who, who really showed him, hey, you're not what, you know, you're, you're totally fine. Your shoulder's not the problem. Let's teach you to throw more with your legs and kind of brought him back and gave him confidence. And I think Russ can get that from Sean Payton, which is confidence. And that, I think, could go such a long way for a player like Russell Wilson. Yeah, I'd buy that. I'd totally buy that. And I, my this is why I love pick. your show so much, Zach, because like, <laughs> you think about this, the human side of things that most people don't, and that, sh- that shit matters. So mm-hmm. I, I'd buy that for sure. Thank you, man. Um, let, let's talk about DeAndre Hopkins first, if you will. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins signed a deal with the Tennessee Titans, two years, $26 million. I guess it's worth like $32 million with incentives. I was, my initial reaction was very disappointing. I, I was like, man, I, I, I was disappointed, I guess. I was like, man, I, I wanted to see him in Kansas City or Buffalo or on a team where I thought he could play with a great quarterback and win. Although, as I sit on it and kind of marinate, I realized, hey, for Tennessee, this is such a great move, I think. It's, it's an expensive move, sure, but what else was Tennessee going to do to maybe get way better? If DeAndre Hopkins is what he's been in the past, this is a big deal. What are your initial thoughts on, on DeAndre Hopkins going to Tennessee? Were you initially disappointed? Do you think it's awesome? Share your thoughts. I was <clears throat> initially super excited. I, mm. like, I get you know people want to see him go to Kansas City, see him go to Buffalo, it's so easy for people to sit back from, you know, behind their keyboard on Twitter and be like, oh, go play, you know, where you can win a ring. You've made plenty of money in your career. Like, I, I get that. But, you know, when you have a $36 million paycheck staring you in the face and you've got your former coaches that you enjoyed playing with in Tennessee and a team that has proved that they are still a very competitive organiz- organization, you can go live in a dope city in Nashville with no state income taxes. It's like, yeah, it's pretty much a no-brainer for DeAndre Hopkins, honestly. And mm. I I liked it, too, because I think Tennessee has been, just over the last, like, three months, probably the most slept-on team by, like, general sports fans, where mm. their season fell apart last year. Tannehill got hurt. Their offensive line was, you know, a complete just carousel of different guys coming in and out defensively they they were out so many guys yet they were still there week 18 with Josh Dobbs off the practice squad you know in a win and in situation against Jacksonville who's getting all the hype right now mm-hmm. and it's like I'm not saying they're better than Jacksonville but Mike Vrabel has shown if anything he deserves the benefit of the doubt um and I just I think that acquisition was exactly what they needed if you look at their their depth chart like they were counting on young players, Traylon Burks, Kyle Phillips, Chigo Conquo, all in, enticing, high upside, fun players. But the second you have to count on those guys to be consistent, it's a lot harder. Now those, you know, mm-hmm. Burks goes from being your one to being your number two. Phillips goes from like you have to be a reliable slot receiver to like, okay, you can just prove us what you can do and play from the slot and get acclimated. Chigo Conquo, instead of having to be a focal point of the offense, 
can be more of that gadget guy, that mismatch piece. And then Hopkins is like, yeah, we're drawn up plays for him. He is still a guy that can play as a top, I'm just going to say top 10 wide receiver, a true number one. Um, I think, you know, when you, you saw him come back from suspension last year in like five games that he got with Kyler Murray before Kyler got hurt, he was still that dude. So I, I loved everything about this signing. And honestly, like, if you're a fan of pretty much every team other than maybe the Patriots, you're probably happy with this too. Because if he went to the Chiefs or he went to the Bills, you're like, ah, oh, shit, how are we going to stop that? Um, I think it's good for the league as a whole. I just think parity is always good. And um, this raises up the Titans without pushing any of those AFC teams. Um, and as a Packers fan, I was terrified that maybe the Lions were going to sneak in there. Um, and like, I think it's huge for the NFC North too. I don't think that was ever real interest there, but I was always afraid of that. Yeah, it definitely, it potentially gives us another contender in the AFC, which is interesting. And I just, I, I my initial reaction was just so like, not, I discounted everything a, a Titans fan must feel, which is like, hey, if you're a Titans fan, this is the best thing we could have possibly done. It, it's going to elevate our quarterback. I think it's going to make us harder to play. It's probably going to make Traylon Burks better because he's got a veteran receiver to learn from and take notes from. Um, I think all well, around. If I yeah. if I can uh, cut you out, just uh, another thought. Like, I loved when they got Will Levis. I loved like the upside mm. swing there. Yeah. But the biggest thing was like, okay, they they're bu- going to sit him for a year and give themselves a year to make sure this is a real surrounding cast available mm. for him when he comes in in 2024. And it goes back to what I said about elevating everybody else. Like, not only is Hopkins himself going to be there because it's a two-year deal, but this is going to really make sure that everybody can um, fill into their their roles. And I think as long as they can figure some stuff out on the O line, Levis has a much better chance of hitting now because yeah. of this signing too. Yeah, man, I I would really like to see Will Levis become what I. It's so rare to see a player reach their potential, but there is a lot of potential from him. Like he can run with so much power. He's got a big arm. Where do you see Levis going long-term if he can develop and reach his potential as a quarterback? I thought his potential was something like Matthew Stafford. Mm. You know, I think Stafford has played as a top 10 kind of semi-elite player at times when he's hot. Uh, But then, you know, he'll have those stretches of kind of questionable play at times, even within any given season. I feel like he's never had like an MVP season, so to speak, where he's just you know, playing at that high level all year long. But, Mm. um, you know, I think that the traits are very similar, the size, the arm talent, the way the ball just pops out of his hands. I love the way he attacks the middle of the field the same way Stafford does. Like he can thread the needle on like digs and crossers uh, over the top of the linebackers. I was a big fan of Levis. I really was. I had him right in a cluster uh, ranking these rookie quarterbacks with uh, Richardson and Stroud. So like, I did not think he should have fallen to the second round. I was glad that he didn't last that much longer. Like he was basically a first round pick. He was the 33rd pick in the draft. So like, I think this idea that the NFL didn't like him or anything like that, there's, there's some truth to it, but this, you know, this wasn't like drew lock or anything like that. I, I, I really think he, he has a good chance of being a, a really good starter and do it. I love that it's Richardson, Stroud, and Levis are all in that division, and Lawrence. It's like, that could be so fun. Dude, it could be years and years of of incredible battles. If they all reach their potential, 
my gosh. Um, mm-hmm. What does Will Levis need to work on? What's he? What's he? Why is he not viewed as the same level as CJ Stroud? What, what's keeping him from being a top five pick, or why wasn't he? Yeah. You know, honestly, it's we, we always talk about development. You say, what does he, he need to work on? And of course, he's got you know he's got to learn to read defenses better. He's got to avoid mistakes more. He pressed way too much in that last year at Kentucky. That there was a horrible team. They were losing, but they were in games because he was keeping them close. And then yeah. he just would you know force force mistakes. He didn't force as many bad mistakes as I think people thought he did, but. Honestly, like, I think he's a little bit capped, honestly, is the way I see it. Like, Richardson, the, the upside is insane. And yeah, I, I think with Levis, he just doesn't have that natural, like, pocket sense. And that's something I've kind of questioned with Stafford a little bit over the years. That's part of where that has come in. Like, I felt like that's just kind of held him back just a little bit. And I kind of see that with Levis where, like, you know, he'll stand tall in the pocket. He'll throw under pressure. He's fearless. He's not afraid of getting hit. Like, he has the presence to throw from the pocket, but he doesn't have that, like, natural feel for the rush and when to step up and elude a blitzing defensive back. Or he doesn't necessarily know, like, you know, when to extend plays. And he'll he'll put himself in compromising situations because of that. So that's something that I would love to see it improve at the next level. I think that's when you can go from being a Stafford or a Kirk Cousins or even Dak. I've criticized some of the pocket presence stuff. That's how you can go from that level of quarterback to, you know, Burrow, Josh Allen, that type of guy. So I I just don't know if – and Burrow and Allen I thought had that coming out. Hmm. And I don't know if that's something that you develop in time. I think it's more of a feel thing. Yeah. Have you watched that TV show Quarterback at all? Not yet. No, I, I need to get my mom's Netflix login. Oh man, dude, you can use mine if you want. I've been so I've been watching it, and uh, one of the big takeaways is, is they really do a good job showing how physical of a position quarterback actually is. Like Kirk Cousins gets leveled so mm. many times, and uh, it, it, it's one of the first times I've really seen just like how much they show the the behind the scenes of a quarterback taking care of their body and the bruises and the cuts and all the little just the beating you really take at that position. Um, and it, it really makes me hesitate when you see small quarterbacks. Now, I, I've never been a – I've always supported small quarterbacks. Like, oh, they're fine. Why can't a guy who's shorter make it? But then you watch Kirk Cousins get destroyed, and you're like, I don't know. I think I would rather have a six foot five guy who can, <laughs> can really maybe last 18 you know, weeks and, and take the beating. Um, do, you, do you see that becoming an issue for guys like Kyler Murray and Bryce Young? Do you think their size and their frame could be a problem? You know, I, I'm not as – is worried about it. You know, I think the thing I always say is, you know, who are the two, two quarterbacks that have legitimately had their career altered from injuries in the last five years, Andrew Luck and Cam Newton, Mm. big, massive quarterbacks, even big Ben throughout his career dealt with a lot of dings. It's to me, it's much more, it's much more important to know how to protect yourself than it is how big you are. Mm. But, you know, math is math, physics is physics. You're more likely when you get hit, if you're that small, to be hurt. But reducing the amount of times that you do get hit is way more important, I think. Uh, well, that's so, what, if I may, real quick, you, mm-hmm. you mentioned Big Ben, Cam Newton. These guys, they never tried to avoid hits. Like be, be, they, they almost had this view that they were infallible. Where Bryce mm-hmm. Young in Carolina, in college, did such a good job avoiding hits. He would ne- he would slide. Like you almost couldn't touch the kid. Like he just never ever took a big hit. 
I, I really like that you said that because, again, how many times did we watch Big Ben or Cam Newton just get absolutely obliterated? But because they refused to slide, they refused to get down, they refused to protect themselves. That's an interesting point that I, I, I love that. Yeah. Continue, please. And and Bryce, well, Bryce, is, he hasn't gone a week in the last two or three years without someone telling him how frail and small he is. So that's always going to be in his head. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Kyler, it, it was an it was a non contact ACL injury. Yep. You know, that happened. It just it it sucks. He he seems to be someone that protects himself pretty well. He he doesn't yeah. try to take guys on. He'll he'll slide, and you know he's got the baseball slide down. He's pretty good. Russ has always been the same way. So. I think it's much more about that. Yeah, no, I just think it's a good conversation to have because I think a lot of America's watching that show quarterback and being introduced to how physical that position is. And I think a lot of people are thinking, hey, it, should we be worried about our quarterback getting hurt for the first time maybe ever? They're like, oh, my God, it really is a thing. You just get leveled. And I think it's it's worth talking about even if it's a non-starter. Yeah. Well, and, and I haven't seen the show yet, but, I mean, Kirk's kind of a sitting duck back there too, right? Yeah. Like, you know, Bryce, Bryce, Kyler, Russ, like they're able to at least, you know, slip out of the sack and they're getting, you know, taken down by an ankle tackle instead of just, you know, getting completely leveled head on. So I, I think there's some of that, too. Yeah. How many times Kirk is like, I'm going to hang in here. They're, they're doing an all up blitz. I'm waiting till I got one on one coverage with JJ and he'll just get obliterated and get rid of the ball at the last second deep and, and mm-hmm. hit his man. Um, yeah. You talked about. A quarterback who fell in the draft and, you know, maybe was better, but because of the team around him in college wasn't as good, it was a problem. I think, so you talked about Will Levis, how he's last year in Kentucky, the team wasn't as good around him. I think you could say the same thing about Sam Howell at North Carolina, where his second to last year in college, he had this great NFL talent around him. His last year in college, those guys left, the talent around him wasn't as good. And therefore, the tape wasn't as good as what he could do wasn't as good. What do you expect from Sam Howell? Because Washington's made the pitch to us, a great marketing pitch. Well, remember, he was viewed as a first-round pick until his last year in college. He's still the same guy. What do you expect from him? Do you expect the guy who's going to be a really good franchise player? Do you expect the kid who wasn't as good and fell in the draft? What do you make of Sam Howell going into this year in Washington? Yeah, I mean it, it's tough. It's the first thing that came to my mind with you saying that right now. It's like, yeah, I mean, so was Brett Huntley, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you remember him out of UCLA. Yep. There's yeah. there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of guys like that um, that just yep. get hyped up a little bit too early. But so was Matt I, Barkley. I, remember Matt Barkley was viewed as yeah. a number one overall pick. Yeah, what did he do? Exactly. Like exactly. Spencer or uh, uh, is it Spencer? No, does geez, I always get Spencer. Rattler and Desmond Ritter. I kept mixing those guys up in my head, but <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I do think there's some truth to like why he was viewed that way. Uh, I agree. His, his sophomore year was, was significantly better. Uh, actually running like pro style stuff. It, dude, his last year was just, he got a complete incomplete. All they did was run RPOs and use him as a designed runner. And it was like, I mean, that's great, but there was not a lick of development, and now he basically has to go back to remembering how to play football again, how to play quarterback again. Um, mm. I I can't fully blame them for seeing what, what he can do this year because um, I do believe in the upside. I think it's interesting that Rivera is totally on the hot seat, yet they're kind of counting on this complete no uh, unknown at quarterback. It's... Yeah, it's it's hard to have too much of a take on it, honestly. Um, 
because of the final year and and that he was a fifth round pick. But I I could see him becoming uh, a, a capable starter for sure. Yeah, it's a big question mark. Another narrative going on in Washington is they got Eric Bieniemy at offensive coordinator. He left Kansas mm-hmm. City, wasn't getting a lot of credit for their success. And if Eric Bieniemy goes into Washington with a, a fifth round pick, Sam Howell, in the second year, makes him look really good. They got some good receivers there in Washington. I, I think it's definitely an opportunity to prove yourself. It's like the, the best way I can put it. Um, what, what do you expect from Bieniemy? Do you think um, I, I've thrown his name out there that if he's great, he could be a solution for a team like Seattle or Buffalo, who, uh, and, and maybe I'm crazy here, but I, I think Buffalo's reached their ceiling. They need a quarterback friendly coach to work with Josh Allen. When Brian Dable left Buffalo, the better coach in Buffalo left. He went to the Giants, and they, they stuck with Sean McDermott, who I, I think it's weird to let the better head coach of the two walk away. Um, yeah. do, do you think Eric Bieniemy could be our next offensive guru, whatever that word means, an offensive-driven coach who could work really well with a young quarterback? I, I'm definitely giving him a, sh- a chance. And, you know, how old is Ron Rivera? You know, like... Uh-huh. That's to me is something that pops into my mind is like, you know, Rivera is, he's only 61. So I was thinking he was older than that, honestly. Um, but he's, so had, maybe, he's had health problems and he's had a lot of stuff off the field and there's a potential he walks away eventually. He's like, known, he's known as such an ambassador um, with minorities and all that stuff. Like, I think there's a world where Rivera's like, hey, you take the show, you know? And this maybe he becomes well. a, head, a front office guy, too. Maybe Ron Rivera elevates up into, yeah. like, is he often head coaches? Who is the guy from Wisconsin became the athletic director? And it's not a compare, you know, NFL college, but sometimes you see a guy move up into the front office and elevate the, the coach under him. Yeah. I mean, I could totally see something like that, something similar to what Bruce Arians did, I guess. Um, so I, I think that's, that's honestly in play. But yeah, totally. If if he has if he gets Washington like in the playoffs and and Sam Howell looks like a, a potential like franchise quarterback type, I think it could be a one year one year and out type of deal. And I think it would be a mistake for Washington to let him go. You know, mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a mistake for you know Atlanta when they let Kyle Shanahan go, Buffalo when they they let Dable go. It's like it's hard. It's hard to make those calls. But I mean, you got to get that offensive mind head coach at the end of the day if you want to be. Uh, one of the the most well-run teams in the league. So definitely going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Do you want to have this conversation real quick about defensive head coaches? Because a lot of people push back and don't like when I say it's it's not great to have a defensive head coach. But I think the problem when you got a defensive head coach is your great offensive coordinator working with your quarterback is at some point going to leave and you got to replace him. And if Mm -hmm. your head coach is paired with your quarterback, you're never going to lose the guy working closely with your quarterback. I'm not saying... Defensive coaches can't win. Look at Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. He's, a, he's amazing. But the guy who developed Josh Allen left and did really well in New York and killed it. And it's, it's not a you're, – you're not very traditional or very standard to say, hey, we're going to fire a head coach and elevate our offensive coordinator to head, to head coach. That's a weird thing outside the box to do. But, I, man, mm-hmm. if Atlanta could have done that with Kyle Shanahan – if the Bills could have done it with Brian Dable, like there's all these examples where the offensive coordinator left, did really well somewhere else, and the, the team that had him let him leave. Should the NFL maybe change its stance? And, and what do you make of, I, I don't want to say defensive coaches can't work, but again, the guy who works with Josh Allen, e- even if the guy right now leaves, 
you're going to have to replace him. I, I just think it makes more sense. If you got a star quarterback to have an offensive coach paired with him, what say you? Yeah, I mean, just on the surface level, it makes sense, right? Everything you just said, like, yeah, you might have that one year, that one or two year window where like everything's in line and maybe you are Buffalo and you don't lose the coin toss and you end up winning a Super Bowl with, with a defensive mind, a head coach. Brian Dable's gone either way, you know? Um, yep. And now they're trying to get back to that point. We'll see if they can do it this year. But it, how many of these defensive-minded head coach teams have made it even to the conference championship, let alone to win a Super Bowl? Like, Well, uh, let me say, the last four Super Bowls have both teams been coached by offensive head coaches. Both teams. In the, so the last eight coaches to go to a Super Bowl. I've all been yeah. offensive head coaches like that. That's not an accident. I'm not saying, yep. but like I, I look at Pete Carroll and say, is Pete Carroll the guy to really take the best advantage of their incredible receiver room right now and to get this mm. offense as far as it could and win a Super Bowl? I don't think so. I'm not hating on Pete. It's just that he's got a limited ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be, win the Super Bowl, you have to be the best. You can't be the sixth best. Um, and it's just, it's the proof's in the pudding. Like having that offense, a great offense in general is the way to be the best. Having a great defense is necessary. Uh, a good defense, I would say, is necessary in the Chiefs' case. Um, but yeah, I, I just think hiring defensive coaches, you are admitting yourself to a lower ceiling long term hmm. um, and a lower chance at being one of those top teams. Who had the best defense in the NFL last year? Would you, would you say it's San Francisco maybe, like top three at least, the 49ers? I, I think they're the defense nobody wanted to play, I would Kansas say. Kansas City beat I mean, San Francisco 44-23 to last year. That incredible 49ers defense gave yeah. up 44 points to Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. Yeah. I, I, I'm not trying to uh, – that's, that's one example I can think of off the top of my head, but my point is a great offense beats a great defense. It's just yep. straight – I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, uh, it's really confusing to me how I want to. I want to even maybe these are fighting words, but I look at Seattle or Buffalo, who I just don't think is going to win a Super Bowl with Sean McDermott and Pete Carroll at head coach, and say you might be happy with that, but then I would argue you're complacent. You're mm-hmm. not hungry to go even farther, and you're afraid of taking risk and trying to fire your good coach to get a great head coach. And um, yep. I ah, it, it bothers me that people it's, fight with me on that. I I am waiting for the team that reaches that, that fork in the road that I said it with um, Atlanta when they let Kyle Shanahan go said, look, Dan Quinn's sweet, but that team, that was Kyle Shanahan's team and everybody knew it. And they, they weren't able to, you know, stick their feet in the ground and say, I'm sorry, Dan, we can't let Kyle go. Uh, We love you. If you want to be our defensive coordinator, I know it's weird, but like we, we have to promote Kyle Shanahan to our head coach. Um, and then it happened again when Brian Dable came up. Everybody knew how great he was. He even stayed an extra year to try and get it done. And uh, they stand by Sean McDermott, you know, great CEO type of coach. He's in the top half of head coaches in the league. But I think we saw a drop off in play calling last year. They kind of failed to make adjustments against the Bengals in the snow. And there you go. You're done. You lost to an offensive head coach in Cincinnati. So I just, yeah, I, I'm totally in sync with you on this one. 
Well, I think you could even argue another team that might be uh, falling victim to not hiring a, an offensive head coach is the Ravens with Lamar Jackson. I mean, what if they go get someone great? They go get a, I don't know, a Kevin O'Connell or a, I, I don't know what name. I'm, I'm blanking on names right now. But what if they, in the last year, had said, hey, I know it's crazy. John Harbaugh's amazing. He won a Super Bowl. We love him. But the NFL has changed, and we need a coach to work closely with our young quarterback to get him where he can go. Because mm-hmm. but. Ba- Baltimore repeatedly has failed to hire an odd offensive coordinator that lives up to my standard. Um, let's talk about running backs, can we? I, uh, yeah. There's been some news and a lot of consternation and what's the value of a running back. The way I see the running back position right now is you play for, on your rookie contract for five years. Uh, you make as much money as you can. The NFL is going to use you up and spit you out, and you're never going to get a second contract ever again. I, I would be surprised if we see another running back really truly get a great second contract um i don't love that it makes me uncomfortable to know that players are the nfl is just going to use you as best you can and then and then discard you but that's the reality um what do you what do you think of this this running back situation happening in the nfl it's definitely easy to see how we got here you know it is unfortunately it is just at, at the core of the issue it is just supply and demand which you know, in a free market is, is always going to win out. And ultimately that's what's happening. Um, I do think that if running backs can get together and almost like unionize in a way, um, they can have a little bit of foothold and a little bit of power here. I think Austin Eckler has like really been like a, you know, leader on this subject in the last couple of weeks. He's He's really well spoken on it. He makes some mm. good points. I think he's a little bit like. It, do you remember me when uh, I went through the whole like fix Madden franchise thing? Yes. Do you? Yeah. Do you remember? And I was like, I was tweeting every day, and I, I reached a point where I was like, my blood was boiling the second my alarm went off, and I was like, I couldn't get my mind off it. I probably said some stuff I regret, but I felt so passionately. Like I feel like he's got a little bit of that like anger in him right now. Um, but he's keeping himself composed in the public, which I, I respect. But um, no, I think if if like they could get together with like an incoming rookie class and come together with a lot of the top veterans and be like, we need a couple changes for how we're compensated here. I think if you could get a three-year rookie contract instead of a four-year rookie contract, that would help a lot so that these superstars – you know, like with no extra year option either, because a four year becomes a five year truly for right. a, a great running back. Yeah, Josh Jacobs last year, great example. Um, although he was, he was, he's a different case because they for some reason declined his fifth year option, which <laughs> was always silly. But <laughs> you know, he was on the fourth year of his rookie contract last year. He led the league in rushing. He made he made probably like you know four million, and he was a first round pick. But yeah, I think letting these guys get to the market quicker is going to be helpful. It might hurt them a little bit on the front end because that hurts their draft value even more because you don't get those four years out of them um, or five years. But I think the running backs might have enough power to get that done for them, which would be useful. And I think some form of reworking the franchise tag for them would be useful, like whether it's – because normally the franchise tag is you get the average of the top five players at the position um i think if you could be like okay we get the average of the top five plus 50 percent of that or something like that because 
it's just so easy for these teams to be like, all right, Saquon, Josh Jacobs, we're just going to put you on the tag. We don't even care if we have to tag you again next year because it's still less than we'll have to pay you. We're saving money. On a, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, and you're not, and you're not inheriting that the injury risk that is a part of the position, the regression risk that is a part of the position. Um, so I, you know, I don't think they're ever going to get everything they want. There's a tough reality of the position that it is a replaceable position that is super dependent on the blocking in front of you. Um, but I, I think there's there's some bit of a middle ground that could be reached with the right leadership. Well, I, I got a, a couple of responses. First of all, is Saquon Barkley replaceable? If the Giants don't have him week one, that's a problem. So, like, I, I not not pushing it back against you, but in general, like, let's acknowledge how, how good of a player Saquon Barkley is and what he brings mm-hmm. to the table. But the, the real question is, what's his shelf life? I, I think a, an NFL running back lasts for at the very best, like seven years is like your, your max amount of time before the wheels fall off and you're just not capable of playing at the same level you were because it's a physical position. You get your butt kicked every week all year long. Um, the, the only I, I like the idea of saying, hey, running backs, sign a three-year rookie contract with no fifth-year option. Changing the franchise tag is a really good solution. I, that's probably the best one I've heard, actually, is let's the top, you know, the average plus 50%. I think that's really the best way to do it. To kind of... If you're going to give a, to make it more of an incentive for a team to give a running back a longer term contract, but maybe we should do that with the franchise tag anyway, just period. Um, I, I, here's my, my problem. What, what is a running back? Because we're seeing some players switch from running back to receiver. Or they go out wide, they go to running back. So if you say, hey, we're drafting you as a running back, does that mean, and we're giving you a three-year contract where everyone else gets a five-year contract or four-year contract, does that mean we can't put you out wide at receiver what if we give you – so, like, the, the lines get blurred when you've got guys like Debo Samuel or Cordero Patterson who play running back and receiver, and they, they go, go into the backfield and out of the backfield. I, I, so I'm not sure that having a shorter contract is a great solution because it's going to be – there's going to be all this muddy waters between what is a running back, actually. How do you define that? Not everyone mm-hmm. is a clear, defined running back. Um, but the franchise tag solution is the best thing I've heard from anyone is that adding 50% on top of it. What do you make of that? The, the kind of muddy waters that yeah. is there ever a guy who you maybe pay him, but then he's not quite. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I, I think with the whole like position thing, you would have to have some kind of terminology in the contracts. Like we can track this stuff. Like where are you lining up? You know, PFF does it extremely well. Yep. Um, all the teams use that. You could very well be like, if player gets over twenty percent snaps as wide receiver you know insert bonus here like there there would have to be some with those unique players that will be used in different ways and those could be those could be worked into rookie contracts too like if you happen to come in and you end up this wide receiver your your contract could completely reshape so there's there's words and and terminology you could i think very realistically implement there as far as like like you, you were kind of wondering, like are are running backs replaceable? Is kind of like what you were you were also wondering. Well, no, I, I guess what it, what I would say is I, I understand both both perspectives. I understand the players being frustrated they're not getting paid more, but I understand mm-hmm. a team saying we got a good deal here. Why why would we pay a guy we don't have to pay? Like it totally that that reality sucks. Like I I feel for the player, but if I'm running a franchise, I'm not given a running back, a long-term second-year contract for a lot of money. Look at what happened with Ezekiel Elliott. So I guess I understand both. But yeah, let's ask a question, I guess, here. Can you replace Saquon Barkley this year? I don't think so. Do you agree? 
I I don't. I think every case can be a little bit different. And I think part of this is the Giants, almost probably to their fault at this point, haven't really put anyone else in place. You know, they didn't. They mm-hmm. haven't spent a mid round pick or signed anybody else in free agency to be like a legitimate guy there. You know, they could have brought in uh, I don't know Najee Harris or uh, uh, not. Well, Najee they traded Harris, for DeAndre so. Swift from. Detroit, which right. is what the Eagles did, they would have more leverage because they'd have a number two running back who maybe could fill the role part-time. Yeah, I think they've kind of put themselves in a little bit of a bind there because I don't look at the rest of that running back room. Yeah, I think they took... Matt Breida is their backup. Yeah. Matt Breida, however you say that. Eric, yeah, yeah, Breida. Yeah, and they took Eric Gray out of Oklahoma, I think, in the fifth round. They yeah. don't, don't know necessarily what they're going to get from him. So it's like, yeah, I mean... <laughs> You probably should have done something else, but maybe they look at this like, all right, Saquon, we're going to put you on the tag, and if you really do want to hold out, we're going to go sign Kareem Hunt, or we're going to go sign Zeke, or we'll sign um, Dalvin Cook. Cook. You know, there's, a, I think the that's kind of the leverage these teams have at the moment is these there's these crazy high end guys available in free agency right now too. So holding like out, like I doesn't said, work. supply and demand's a bitch. <laughs> Look at Le'Veon Bell. Remember when mm-hmm. he decided not to play, and he he never got paid what he what he wanted to make at the time. And if I don't I don't mm-hmm. imagine Saquon or Tony Pollard or Josh Jacobs, none of them are going to hold out because they have no leverage. If you don't play, as far as I understand, if he doesn't go play week one, he doesn't get paid. So like, why? There's no incentive for for a. I don't think Saquon's. I think Saquon's a loyal guy who shows up for his team and wants to prove himself. But also, I don't know what he really gains by not playing. He doesn't make money. And that's what mm-hmm. this is all about anyway. So I just uh, I, I feel for the players, but I don't see him holding out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you want to talk about your, your favorite team now? Can we? Let's do it. What do you expect from Jordan Love this fall? I'm pretty optimistic. I, I, honestly, I am. Um, oh, and I'm sorry. not always... Let, let me explain, by the way. He's the new Packers quarterback, in case anyone... <laughs> we, we talk in code, but we forget, like, hey, so the Packers... Aaron Rodgers left, Jordan's other new quarterback in Green Bay. Go, please. Um, yeah, so, like, I'm not... I don't like to think that I've been, like, a total Packers homer since I've been doing this. I was raised a Packers fan. I'll, I'll call it like it is. I'll be pessimistic with, with them when, when I think it's necessary, but... I'm honestly I'm pretty optimistic for Jordan Love. I I you can go back to what I said about him before he was ever a member of the Packers like I loved him as a prospect. The ball pops off his hand. I felt like he read defenses pretty well. He made in his in his, and, you know talk about a guy like Sam Howell who everybody left in in his final year and the surrounding cast wasn't as good. That same thing happened to Jordan Love. He was definitely viewed as a, a potential top 10 pick um until he didn't play quite as well in his second year and he started to make some more mistakes starting to press and trying to put his team on his back a little bit more, but you, you throw out those big mistake plays and yeah, I mean, he can read, read defenses. He can get through his progressions really good at extending plays, good athlete. Like he has everything you look for to be a, a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Uh, I think the accuracy was kind of like the main question for him coming out. And with what we've seen with some of the improvements, guys like Jalen hurts, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen have shown, year by year over the last you know five years. That used to be something that people viewed as a trait that couldn't get better. And I think with modern coaching and, and mechanic improvements and stuff, we've really seen accuracy be something that quarterbacks can improve. 
And if the accuracy's there, he's had three years to learn this offense, to know his reads, know his progressions. I think he's going to be a good starter right away. Like, I don't see a lot of reasons other than, like, I mean, I mean, there's always the world where I'm just completely wrong and he can't read defenses and, he, he, you know, he just doesn't know what he's doing. But from, my, yeah. from what I've seen from him and what, what he showed last year when he came in, I really think he's going to be about, like, the 20-ish best quarterback. Like, I think he's going to be capable right away. And then if he starts to grow with what's really turned into a fun, young, explosive group of playmakers that are entirely unproven, you know, no one's built like the Packers are right now where it's, you know, Watson played his rookie year last year, played nine, nine games basically were really good. You feel good about that. Pretty much everything else is rookies. Romeo Dobbs on his second year where he was hurt in his rookie year. It's all just promise right now. Um, and if they can all grow together, this could really be dynamic within the next uh, season plus, I would say. I don't think they're going to be, you know, winning MVPs and competing for a Super Bowl this year necessarily, but I think you're going to see a lot of good stuff from Love. You're going to see some rookie mistakes, you know, he'll make some reads that he'll have to learn from and all that. I'm I'm definitely expecting some hiccups, but I think he ends the year viewed around the 16th best quarterback and heads into next year like, okay, he's got his weapons, he's got everything in place and uh can he take a big leap to being like a, you know, a top tier or two quarterback i i think we're in exactly the same position i i feel we're on the same wavelength there i think he's going to be solid and good and it's going to be kind of a building year where i don't i do not expect the packers to win their division or even be close to that but i think a packers fan can have a lot of fun watching their team this year it's a young team that's going to be good moments that are like oh my gosh that's exciting he'll make a great Mm -hmm. throw or two where you're like wow that's that's the future right and then next year or the year after, he'll really hit his stride and become the player that I think he's capable of. I, it's not realistic to expect him to reach his potential in his first year as a starter, but I think we're on the same same wavelength. I feel really good about the Packers and their quarterback. And um, well, and it's a team that's yeah. yeah, it's a team that's this is their this is their formula, right? And it's shown that it works. You know, we'll mm-hmm. take the guy a little earlier than we should. We'll move off the guy maybe a little earlier than we should. I mean, they easily could have. You know, they were at a crossroads. They they were like, we could have brought this back with Rodgers. And I'm going to be honest, I would I would think the Packers are right there with the Eagles and right there with the, the Niners in the NFC um, with a second year of all of these new playmakers and stuff um, to get if back. If they kept Rodgers. Yeah, to get back to compete for a Super Bowl, especially in the, in the current landscape of the NFC. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Well, but they, well let's they, say... To, to get rid of Rod or to keep Rodgers would have been sacrificing the future of Jordan Love, though. It, they made yep. a, a short term sacrifice for a long term gain to, to maybe get the next ten years to be Jordan Love. Yep, but you don't you don't do that if you haven't seen him seen enough internally to believe that that's going to because they they are potentially compromising another year of a potential Super Bowl with Rodgers. Mm. I never thought about it that way. To to let Aaron Rodgers go was a vote of confidence in Jordan Love. I don't know why I never thought of it that way, but that's what you're saying, and that's that makes sense. Do you think the Detroit Lions are going to win the NFC North? My gut is no. Mm. Why? My Minnesota. My brain says, my brain says, probably like yes, probably, but my gut says no. I think it's still Minnesota. Mm. 
Yeah, well, Minnesota's going to have year two in Kevin O'Connell's offense. Kirk Cousins, another year in that system. And this, you should watch that show, Quarterback, because he talks about how in year one in that offense, he wasn't ever – he didn't quite get where he wanted to. He, he was still thinking a lot and not quite comfortable. And the second – like he threw a pick against Buffalo where he just threw the ball right at uh, Tredavious White, I believe, whoever that was. Mm-hmm. And it's like I, I, I just was out of sync. I didn't know the offense well enough. And I, I think a, a, another year in that offense for Kirk Cousins is going to be an even better year for Kirk Cousins. Um, yeah, you bring in Addison. The O-line is really exciting. A lot of young. Um, they've invested in that group. It continues to get better. <laughs> you know, they lose pieces on defense, but I don't think a team made a bigger upgrade at defensive coordinator than going from Ed Donatell to bringing in Brian Flores. So I do think it's, it, it's going to be real tight. Like, I've had this conversation a lot. Um, just a lot of my friends are NFC North fans and, you know, well, you like, live in Minnesota. I, I live in Minnesota. I'm a Packers fan. My wife's a Bears fan. So it's like, I'm, I, you know, I, I live and breathe this stuff every day, but, um, I think it's like, for lack of better math, I'll give the Vikes like 30%. I'll give the Lions like 26%. I would go the Packers at like 22%. And Bear is at like seventeen percent. Like I think it's going to be close. Yeah, in the NFC North, I think it'll come down to the last few weeks. But I, I really think it's between Minnesota or Detroit. What did you think of that? I would push back. I think would, yeah. I really do think Green Bay is going to be um, in the mix. There he is. There's like, the Packers I don't think... fan. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm teasing you, man. It's all good. I I don't think they'll finish more than two games behind first place. Interesting. Is, Green is Bay. what I would say. Yeah. Wow. So I, you think all three of those teams are going to be right really close to the top? I do. Yeah. Is that because of the pieces around Jordan Love? Like Christian Watson gets better. Like you, you, you listed all these people in Green Bay that are, are playmakers getting better and growing. So you really believe in the, the roster around Jordan Love? Yeah. I mean, I think it's easy to focus on the quarterback and the playmakers. That's going to be what decides their season. But I think they have a really underrated offensive line. I think people – it looked bad last year because Bakhtiari was slow to come back. And then the funny thing with Bakhtiari is everybody writes him off. He was back in there like week six, kind of finally like full go, recovered from the ACL. He was back to playing like a top at least five pass-protecting left tackle, if not top two. Um, and then he gets uh, abendectomy in like week 14, which has nothing to do with the ACL, <laughs> but everyone's like, oh, here we go. Bakhtiari is out of the lineup again. Like Joe Burrow missed time for a abendectomy. Like that's just a complete fluke, random thing. Um, so like he's back in there, franchise left tackle. Elton Jenkins was slow to start the year because he was coming off an ACL. Uh, they tried him at tackle. He didn't play great, but they put him back at guard, his natural position, and he came back played well, earned a top-of-the-market contract there. So you're adding two, basically a full season of two superstar linemen. They hit on a fourth-round guy in Zach Tom, who they were kind of figuring out when they wanted to play him. Their offensive line is going to be significantly improved this year. I, I really believe that. And defensively, if, if Joe Barry can just get out of his own way, that's easily the most talented defense in the division. Like, mm-hmm. it's not even remotely close. Not even, like, it's multiple tiers between the other rosters and Green Bay's roster. Because you got a top a top end pass rush that just added Lucas Van Ness, who I loved. Um they've got decent linebacking group, honestly. Um well the Bears Bears invested in, in that group, but 
uh, good linebacking group, and and I would say the best secondary in the in the division as well. So like if Joe Barry can just be a decent defensive coordinator, which is probably not going to happen because I think he's horrible, but like it it says a lot that people don't really fear the Packers defense when their roster is one of the best defensive rosters in the league. Mm. Here's an interesting storyline in the NFC North. The the player I wanted to see Detroit draft was Jordan Addison, the wide receiver out of USC. Not only did the Lions not draft him, they went and drafted a first-round running back. They traded away their running back. And, and to add insult to injury, the player I wanted Detroit to draft went to their rival Minnesota. Like, I, I, I'm not a Lions fan, but I want to see them win. The same way I wanted to see the Browns win and the Browns are horrible. So I feel a little bit emotionally invested in seeing the Lions make the playoffs. Like, I want to see that happen before I die. And I, I'm worried it may mm. not. I don't, I don't know, but it's been my whole life. They've been horrible. Hopefully I got a lot of years <laughs> left and, and they got time. But, man, I want to see them do well. And I, I just, oh, drafting a running back was so weird for me. I'm trying to have an open mind, trying to assume the Lions know best. And I think Jameer Gibbs is going to be a great player. They can ride for four years and can be great out of the backfield catching passes, going to run the ball really well. But, man, I'm trying to trust, and the strategy is hard for me to understand. What do you make of what the Lions are doing? So tell me, what are the four least impactful, valuable positions on an NFL team? Don't, discounting, like, you least know, impactful. pullback, long snapper, kicker, punter, like, real positions. Oh, man. Four least impactful? I don't know, like linebacker, running back. Uh, anything involved with the running game would be my my, my top couple. Um, running back. Yep. Linebacker. Tight end. Slot corner. Are the least paid positions, lowest paid, average contract positions in the NFL. Four positions in the league that get paid the least. Yep. What were their first four picks? Uh, running back, linebacker, tight end, slot corner. Even if they're good players, they were a team on the cusp that already had, in my eyes, a good floor. Yeah. Which is if you're investing in those positions, those are floor positions. You know what it reminds me of is the Indianapolis Colts for a couple years there where they couldn't get a great quarterback, they couldn't get a great receiver, they couldn't get a great corner, a great edge pass rusher. They they were loaded at linebacker, running back. You know, they were good at all these like woo. Yeah, capable positions. If you want to take that next step, you got to have game-changing players. And what hurts the most is they had a real chance to get that. They had the sixth pick. They had another first-round pick. They had traded down to get a, 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 almost another first-round pick. It was like the 34th pick. And I don't even think they took the best tight end available in Sam Laporta. Yeah. They could have had Michael Mayer. They could have had, I think, Luke Musgrave, who the Packers got, is a, is a better player out of Oregon State. Um, man, I just, it's not that they got bad players. They got players that will help them be a better football team as did every other team in the draft. That's how the draft works. You know, everyone gets better on draft day. It's about, you know, they had set themselves back really for this off season to be like, let's go, let's get real horsepower here. And they didn't. So that's a little bit of my holdup with Detroit is I worry that they're going to be a lot better than they were last year. And, the, and Jamison Williams is going to miss the first six games of the season. Yeah. If I think the division is going to be tight, that matters. You know, what They if, have to play Green Bay week four. I think Green Bay beats them because Jamison's not out there. 
it was risky what the Lions did in the draft. It was a a moment where they said, I think hey, it was stupid. trust us. But if it doesn't work, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, you're out of a job. Like, you know what I mean? It was so to not, again, Jordan Addison has an incredible next couple of years in Minnesota and, and has a bunch of touchdowns against Detroit. That's going to be really painful because that's the guy they should have drafted, in my opinion, and they didn't. And it's like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. okay, we'll see. And you know who it reminds me so much of is when the Seahawks bought into their own hype a little bit too much. They had some horrible drafts. They took players that everybody said, that's a reach, that's not worth it. They took, you know, Rashad Penny. They took um, uh, Jordan the, Brooks, the, the running back at a, or the linebacker at a Texas Tech. The linebacker, Tech. yeah. And he was the best of the picks they made in that stretch. He's a good he player. Turn into, but, yeah, but he's a linebacker. You yeah. can't change the game at that position. No. Um, and the Raiders, the Raiders did the same thing with John Gruden. They're like, it's our culture picks. You know, we're going to take Claylin Furl instead of Brian Burns and Rashawn Gary because, you know, he went to a military academy. Like, no, you're just being stupid. Yeah. You're, not, you're not looking at this process from the right angle. And I think Detroit made that same mistake this year. I really did. Mm. Even, if I, even if I'm a huge Dan Campbell believer, and I am. Yeah. But I think, I think they let his, his mentality impact their draft strategy in a negative way. No, I think the philosophy from a football perspective for the Lions, this we're going to pound you into the ground, we're going to run the football a ton, it's, it's going to be compelling, and they're going to be another hard... I, so I, last year, the Lions were a team that was really difficult to beat, but they weren't a great football team. Does that make sense? Do you know the difference? And mm-hmm. I don't know yep. that they're still... A, n- nothing more than a team that's really hard to beat. And that, that makes me disappointed because they could have been so much more. Dude, they could have taken all those picks moved up for Anthony Richardson would have been so much more interesting yeah. than what they did. Yeah. I really just don't think the guys they got are going to change like you. And, and they, they shipped off Deandre Swift, who's not as good as Jameer Gibbs, but like similar talents. Yeah. You had just spent a top 35 pick on Swift, you know, you got marginally better um, running back at what cost at backup running back, Zach backup running back. They signed David Montgomery. He's a good player. Yeah. I, I, it I just... For a team that had spent the last two years, I really felt like we're building a special combination of a, a coach and Brad Holmes. I think Brad Holmes probably got over, overrun a little bit maybe this year by, by... Or at least let Dan Campbell make some of those calls. Because I really thought Brad Holmes, every single move he had made since he got there was like building upon all leading up to this draft and they just completely just I just I hope they I hope they prove me wrong I really do but I just I don't like it let's talk about your boy Aaron Rodgers here uh I have high expectations I have high hopes I think that the Jets are going to be awesome I feel really good about it it's certainly to me of all the 32 teams in the NFL the Jets are the one team that I cannot wait to see what happens like a crazy science experiment I believe mm-hmm. in it. What do you expect from Aaron Rodgers and the Jets this fall? I can't wait. I'm I'm all in, man. I'm I'm I got a Jets fan, uh Jets Rodgers jersey on back order. <laughs> I got That's uh, awesome. we, Anna and I are going to go. We're we're we got a we just got a new puppy, so we're trying to find out um if someone can can watch it. Uh but we're we're trying to go down to Dallas for week 2 to see Jets at Cowboys, which oh. Rodgers just owns that stadium. So uh-huh. I would love to see that in person. I've never been 
to Jerry World. So I'm all in, man, and I'm I'm genuinely optimistic. The AFC is is a cutthroat, just complete mess of like great teams. So it's just going to be you know trying to emerge through the thick of things at the end of it. But I think they're going to be right there with honestly. I would still put the Chiefs and the Bengals and do I put the Bills ahead of them? I don't know. Um, I think Chiefs and Bengals for sure ahead of them, but not by a ton. I think to talk about what Rodgers is going to add here, I already mentioned a little bit of how everything went wrong last year, the O-line, the receivers, and I think he was checked out a little bit. They traded away Devontae. They didn't really give him any you know, he doesn't like working with rookie receivers. He's a very like structured quarterback. He wants you in the very specific spot. He wants you to know his hand signals. He wants you to know exactly what he's doing, when he's going to do it. And I think he got a little bit frustrated, a little bit checked out, just clearly wasn't as committed to playing inside the structure of the offense last year as he was the two years before that when he won an MVP. Also was playing through a broken thumb on his throwing hand, by the way, <laughs> that I think you can very easily explain away some of the accuracy drop-off that he had after that injury happened. Um, so I, I don't think he'll – I mean, I think he could play at an MVP level again, but even if he's the eighth-best quarterback in the NFL, which for a guy that I don't think has lost a ton of physical tools to say that Aaron Rodgers can be the eighth best quarterback in the NFL feels like the understatement of the year paired with a team that was an average quarterback away from being a really good team last year, from being a legit playoff contender. They're, they're a legit Super Bowl team, man. I really believe it. That division is so much fun. Like mm-hmm. Buffalo dominated it last year, or at least that was the, the, the kind of the perspective is, hey, Buffalo's at the top of this division. Now, I, I don't think so at all. I mean, I, Miami's going to be better, I believe. The Patriots finally got a real offensive coordinator. I, I think the Jets are the team to beat in that division, but I, I just think it's a bloodbath. I cannot wait to see what happens in the AFC East. It's going to be so much fun. Like Josh Allen against Aaron Rodgers twice next year? Are you kidding me? Like that's going to be yeah. awesome. Aaron Rodgers against Bill Belichick's defense twice? Yep. It's amazing Mike television. Daniel against Oh. Yep. Dude, yep. it's going to be so fun. Um I love it, man. Uh, let's let's end it here. I want to ask one final thing. Uh, it's kind of a, a silly one, but there's the hard knocks curse is something you hear a lot about. Teams go on hard yeah. knocks. They're not good. Actually, I, I read a comment the other day. Someone on my one of my subscribers did this whole breakdown and really kind of proved straight up that it just doesn't matter. Like teams that do hard knocks actually like half the time make the playoffs and do fairly well. But I, yeah. I hate this this idea that hard knocks is the thing that holds teams back. A, when the season starts, they leave. The cameras are no longer there. But mm-hmm. B, we saw Patrick Mahomes with a TV show and Netflix cameras following him all year on and off the field win a Super Bowl. I'm like, how are you going to tell me that cameras in training camp are going to keep the Jets from being a great football yeah. team? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, and don't you have to be, like, basically, like... There's only like four teams that are eligible for it every year, and it has to be like teams that were. They have to be like you have to finish under 500, and I don't know what the qualifiers are. But it, basically, the good teams, team. yeah, the good teams aren't eligible for hard knocks. Correct. So like this was a unique situation for HBO to get it, uh, get a team that's like this. But like, yeah, I think that's mostly what's going on is there just aren't good teams. 
they probably will be slightly distracting. Like maybe it costs them a third down in week one because of a little bit less preparation. But like in the scheme of things, no, it's not going to, you know, change, alter their, uh, you know, season, I don't think. Yeah, I think so. I totally agree with you. It, it drives me nuts that, that this her- curse. Oh, hard knocks. We can't win. It's like, I, I get out of here. Do you have time for one well, they final mostly thing? Focus, yeah, absolutely. Well, they mostly focus on, like, roster bubble players, too. Yeah. You know? You know what I want to so. see? If So they're doing that TV show quarterback, I think, for a season two this fall. I mm-hmm. I don't know who the quarterbacks are going to be. I'd love to see Joe Burrow. I'd love to see yep. like Baker Mayfield to be really interesting in Tampa as your level your your prove a guy like Mariota was last year. I don't know that they can score Aaron Rodgers, but if they could, if they could have a camera follow <laughs> Aaron Rodgers around all year, that's must watch. Tell I would I have to watch that. I would love 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 to see that happen. I don't oh, think they can man. get that. But can you imagine how great that would be? Gosh, that would be that would be like one of the most watched Netflix shows ever. That'd oh, yeah. be nuts. Yeah. Follow him to Africa in the offseason to do a little ayahuasca <laughs> trip. Dude, that'd be amazing. Here's my, my final topic I, w- I want to talk about, if we can. I mentioned mm-hmm. his name. Baker Mayfield, th- this quarterback who has a lot to prove. He got a one-year, $4 million deal in Tampa. But as I look around the NFL, of the teams that needed a quarterback, I, I cannot imagine a better scenario for Baker Mayfield to have gone to. I don't know that he's mm-hmm. going to be great or not, but certainly he's being put in a good position. Great receivers, a good offensive line, a good defense. I, I just can't think of a team around the NFL that needed a quarterback that is more equipped to put Baker in a position to win. What do you expect from Baker in Tampa this fall? Yeah, he's he's a tough one because he's had some really ugly moments He over the last couple of years. I, I, I do think he's one of the most confidence-based quarterbacks. Like When he's got the team believing in him and they're building an offense around his skill set, and he can just be himself. Like he does seem to thrive off of his energy. Like he, Moxie seems to matter more for him than it does for a lot of players. And I think he's lost that Moxie and has turned into a really discouraged, sporadic passer. Like hmm. I, number one, he's with the coordinator that turned Geno Smith into like a top ten quarterback or the the quarterbacks coach. Love that who's going to run a system that is very similar to when Baker was playing his best with Stefanski. It's going to be a lot of that, like Shanahan play action crossers and all that stuff. I love that. And it's a team that's kind of in this weird state. No one's, no one's picking them to win. They still have all these leaders and great players from a Super Bowl team. It is a dream last chance for Baker. I, I think there's definitely Geno Smith. There's definitely a world where this is another Geno Smith rejuvenation type of deal. Uh, but there's very real issues with his game too, like playing within the structure. And I, I think his biggest thing is like he just always drifts right. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed that he when does, you watch yeah. him. He just he takes the snap and then he just kind of like it's like you're playing Madden and it, you know the you controller know, like Joy Cons ha- yeah yeah the, the, it's <laughs> like he has controller drift and he just drifts into his own right tackle and it's like yeah dude you got to fix your footwork so like there's there's real issues with him as a passer but can't deny the talent I mean he's a solid athlete amazing arm I, I do I do wonder um, how much the shoulder injury set back his arm talent yeah and if you if you're so used to 
throwing a certain way and the ball going to a certain spot and all of a sudden your your arm is 90% of what it once was, does that just completely throw off everything? His mechanics are mostly his core and his legs are what's generating the power and the force. So I think, I don't think there's a lot relied on, I, I don't think his power comes from his shoulder. It's a joint that matters, but his power comes from his legs and his core, the way his mechanics work. Um, he's a great rotational thrower. That's why he gets so much out of it. his little frame. He, he the way he rotates on that. It's like hitting a baseball. It's like oh my, he just generates so much force. I love it. Um, can I, I? You look at that division, the NFC South, Tampa, Carolina, Atlanta, and New Orleans. I I think they could win their division. Like I I think there's a a, a real opportunity here. If Baker is good, Tampa could win the NFC South. And I. I don't know. I think there's a chance for like a really cool Cinderella story with Baker Mayfield. I don't want to like call my shot. I don't. I don't know what to expect. But what you said is really really important. That when Baker's confident in himself, he's a different player. No. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, what you, what you said about Baker is is so key and really really matters. Is when Baker's confident in himself, he's a different player. And I I, I can't imagine he won't. I, I don't know. I, what I'm hearing from training camp, they're excited about Baker. He's got great receivers. I see it going really well. At least there's potential for it to go really well. And I just have, I'm really, really excited about Baker Mayfield in Tampa. I think Atlanta's really fun. I think they're really fun. Like, I love the playmakers. I've been an Arthur Smith apologist. Excited to see what he can do there. Um, can we linger on them, Atlanta? Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you do think it. they're putting Desmond Ritter in a position to succeed? For what his skill set is, yes. I, I compared him to Alex Smith yep. in, like, prime Kansas City. Like, Yeah. I keep I, saying I, that, I too, actually. Yeah. I, I didn't love the pick when they made it because it's not because I didn't think he'd be good. You know, it's because I didn't think he'd be great. And I was worried that we'd get here a year later. He'd be the starter. He'd be just good enough that they talk themselves into playing him. And sure, this year when the conference is is you know complete cheeks, the division sucks. Yeah, you could walk into a ten win season and maybe something happens in the playoffs, but ultimately you're probably going to get steamrolled by the the real teams when you get when it gets down to the wire. And then what? I, it's going to be one of the more fun offenses to watch though, because you have all these positionless players. Bijan's going to be at, at receiver. Cordero's going to be at receiver. Kyle Pitts is a receiver playing tight end, Jonu Smith. Like, it's going to be uh, a, a mini version of what the Niners have offensively, honestly, uh, with all the run-after-catch threats. Um, and then, it, you know, the defense has a million moving pieces, so the defense has to be a lot better, but I like a lot of the stuff they did. So I think Atlanta's very much in the mix, neck and neck with my, – my favorite is Carolina in the division. Really? Tell yeah. me why. Underrated defense, good pass rush – Solid secondary, good linebackers. Love Ajero Evero, the defensive coordinator they brought in. I thought he elevated the Broncos' defense a ton last year. Frank Wright coming in, an adult in the room. Like, I just think it, it's got some vibes to what happened in Jacksonville last year. I don't think Matt Rule was quite as bad as as Urban Meyer, but you know, a couple of college coaches trying to run an NFL organization. Frank Reich is going to step in. He's, he's literally Doug Peterson. Like Frank Reich learned from Doug Peterson. They run the same scheme. I think they're both good culture guys. They both play like, quarterback in the NFL. Yep, exactly. I love that David Tepper has been like no expenses held back 
for the the rest of the coaching staff. Like um, they bring in Evero, as I mentioned. They bring in um, um, is it McGlo- not McGloin, Matt, um, the quarterbacks coach. He's a long term. Uh, no, name? the oh, McCown, Josh McCown. Oh, Josh McCown. They yes, brought, yeah, they brought yeah. him in. Yeah, yeah Thomas yeah. Brown from the Rams. Is, yeah, because they were one. like all the the pro days. Like him and Frank Reich were like watching. Like, oh, look at yeah. this young man. Yeah. But there's no salary cap for coaches. So they spent they spent more on their staff than anybody in the league this year. They just brought in all these ascending minds. They try to create like this super team of and it goes to the defensive side of the ball too. So like I, I think they're gonna be just a really well run team. Love Bryce Young. I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to Bryce Young. Like I I just I think he's special. I I think the game just moves in slow motion for him. And even if they don't have high-end playmakers, they have, like, five guys that I think can play. And, like, I just – I think they're going to be a above-average offense and – or at least an average offense and above-average defense. Hmm. And it doesn't sound like much, but you don't need much to win the NFC South this year, I don't think. so. No. Well, look at the coaching staff in, in Carolina compared to New Orleans, man. Like, oh, my, it's night and day. And yeah. I want to say something. People people say Frank Reich failed in Indy, and there's a lot of criticism of him. I what I would the way I would respond to that is you learn so much more from the times you, you struggle and aren't very good. I don't think he had a great owner in Indy. I think there's a lot of problems at quarterback there in, in Indy. But also, I can't imagine Frank Reich didn't learn a lot through whatever went down with the Colts as head coach there. I think he can take all those lessons and do a better job with you know a second chance here in Carolina. I I feel great about him coaching Carolina. And I, I, I hadn't thought of them to win the division, but I mean, certainly, like when you when you pitch it the way you did, like Adam Thielen is going to be a, a, a not a, a star player, but his veteran presence. He's been a great player in the past. He he still can do some stuff, and him working with a young rookie quarterback, Bryce Young, seems like such a home run. Um, yeah, and I I think they have they have some talented receivers that will be able to make plays. Like you know, Bryce Young in his last year at Alabama. They didn't have a lot of great receivers. Like honestly, they the amount of times you had drops and everyone was covered, and he had to do, like really carry the offense a lot of the times. It was not like the Alabama offenses we've gotten used to. It wasn't what C.J. Stroud had at Ohio State, that's for sure. And he had to elevate a lot of those guys at, at Alabama. And I think someone that is poised for a big step this year could be Terrace Marshall out of LSU, mm-hmm. who's only 22, 23 years old, was a second-round pick. They draft Jonathan Mingo in the second round. Like, I think if Bryce Young is the player I think he's going to be, I think you're going to get more out of those rookies than you expect. They also signed DJ Chark, who's a real NFL receiver. They brought in Hayden Hurst, who's a real NFL tight end. The run game's going to be good. they got a good old line, Miles Sanders and Chuba Hubbard. Like, there's a lot of just capable players around Bryce Young that I don't think it's going to be a disaster. Can I throw some, uh, throw a question by you and see if my logic makes sense? Mm-hmm. I look at Atlanta and I just don't know that they're going to expect too much from Desmond Ritter. They're going to, they're going to run the ball a ton. They got a lot of playmakers around him. I don't think they expect him to make crazy plays like Patrick Mahomes. They expect him to run their offense and execute. In fact, I've criticized Arthur Smith in the past for not trusting quarterbacks enough, but in this situation, I think it actually helps a young quarterback who's learning and not to be given mm-hmm. too much of an expectation. Do you think that helps Desmond Ritter? In Atlanta? I think I'll just be really comfortable. Like, they're, 
they're doing exactly what you should with a player with that skill set. They're going to get him on the move. They're going to use design runs. Almost all of his, like, all the play action stuff, it's going to be one read. Everything's leveled. Like, it's all in one easy progression. Like, yeah, I think I think it's all going to be very structured and easy for his skill set. And they're not going to, they're going to really do their best to avoid getting into third and nine where he has to drop into the, you know, drop that, drop back in the pocket, go through his progressions, you know, read the, read the defense. It's, they're going to do a really good job protecting him. I just wonder, I just wonder where it's going long-term. That's yeah. Which just always comes back to that. It just always comes back to that with me. Cause like they, they could have taken Will Levis or, or whatever. Um, they could have. They do it. They didn't even have to do that with the Bijan pick. They could have moved up and taken him at the end of the end of the first round for pretty much nothing. Like, they could have had Trey Lance. Like, they could have had a lot of different other routes to get a higher upside quarterback. And this is what they're going with. I, I'm just very curious if we're going to sit here in three years and like that was a fun ride, but we got to move on from Arthur Smith and start this thing all over again because it's not really going anywhere. Well, they still could trade for Trey Lance this offseason or even during the year. Like, I think yeah. if they, if that's a great landing spot for Trey Lance. It is him and Arthur Smith's offense is like an incredible idea. That mm-hmm. oh, like, would you would you think Atlanta would give or would think the 49ers would trade Trey Lance for a second round pick to Atlanta? How about this one? Trey Lance for Kyle Pitts. <sighs> that's a terrifying thought and for a pick. the NFC and a West. Pick. Niners yeah. have to give a pick. A first round pick, Trey Lance and or a second round pick, Trey Lance and Kyle Pitts. For Kyle Pitts. I don't want to give up Kyle Pitts if I'm Atlanta, but I would love to see Kyle Pitts playing for Kyle Shanahan. Like that would be unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> like oh dude, that's a fun thought, man. Mm-hmm. Can I let's let's end the show here. Um yeah. first of all, thanks for coming on. I love you, man. I appreciate you. Can I tell you about my Madden team? Do you want to hear what I'm doing right now? Let's hear it. So I've been, I play Madden 11 because I'm an insane person. Um, yep. I got to Hawaii. I have a storage unit in Hawaii. I got myself out of my storage unit. I have this Xbox 360 that literally has only ever had one disc in it. it it's not. It's a Madden 11 <laughs> console. That's the only thing. It, it, it serves its purpose. It exists to play Madden 11 on. And I discovered I, I play as a Houston Texans. I trade away Matt Schaub. I go get Deshaun Jackson and Jeremy Macklin from Philadelphia. I trade for Pat White. Pat White's my quarterback. I nice. trade Owen Daniels at the tight end for Earl Bennett uh, in Chicago. I put Earl <laughs> Bennett at tight end. I put Deshaun Jackson at running back. And I, I run the air raid offense. I never run the football ever. Oh, but my God. Out of the back, I literally, literally never. Like, I get one carry a year. And it's my, like when I accidentally hit Super Sim and they hand the ball to Deshaun Jackson. And then I, <laughs> Deshaun Jackson is amazing out of the backfield. Like, he, he's got like 99 speed. You can't yeah. tackle him. He's super elusive. Him in open space is unbelievable. Earl Bennett's got like incredible catch in traffic. Andre Johnson down the sideline, beating man yeah. coverage constantly. Jeremy Macklin's my number two receiver. It's, and then Pat White can run. Like, and it's the most fun I've ever had playing Madden in my entire <laughs> life. It's amazing. I, I love the idea of like going back. To get those like legacy players, like at this point, those are legacy players, and it's just like <laughs> what could have been with like a different, different uh, mindset with the the scheme. Oh man, that's that's well, fun, dude. Houston's great too. They're in a dome. They play most of their games against. Pey- What's well, fun? I like play Peyton Manning, and that's like a fun mm. blast in the past. Like he's hard to beat, actually. Madden eleven, and yeah. I don't know. I'm just having so much fun. I'm the most fun I've ever had playing Madden franchise. Mode. I, uh, I'm like, oh, I've been enjoying my. My own franchise with the new Madden with Anthony Richardson. 
on my uh, on my rookie roster, and it's just like he's so fun. You can do whatever you want with him, <laughs> dude. He's 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 a creative player. Like what he yeah. can do physically is it just oh, is it fun? And I traded and I traded for Kyle Pitts, <laughs> <laughs> dude. Oh my gosh, man. Yeah. Well, hey, I love you, man. Thanks for coming on. And uh, anytime, you're always welcome. You're, you're one of my favorite people out there. So thanks for coming on. You too, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Zach.